the Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Richard Lander. Rich is a principal program manager on the .NET Core team. He works on making .NET Core work great in memory-limited Docker containers, on ARM hardware like the Raspberry Pi, and enabling GPIO programming and IoT scenarios. Welcome, Rich. Thanks. Great to be on the show. Yeah, so uh, before we sort of jump into the meat of things, would you give our listeners like a little introduction to yourself? Uh, perhaps tell them how you got started in the industry? Sure. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm a Canadian born and bred uh, from Ontario and um, went to school in, well, I guess my, you know, my, I, my dad wasn't exactly a computer enthusiast, but he thought we should be. So, um, <laughs> He uh, he would bring home hardware for us to to play with and use, uh, and that's what was kind of my start, which I am incredibly thankful for. You know, twenty four hundred baud modem and all the rest of it. And uh, then I went to school at Waterloo, and then Microsoft needed some people who knew XML, and which I did know a lot about. Uh, and in two thousand, I got hired right out of school and moved to uh, Seattle and started working for Microsoft, and I've been there ever since. So that's kind of my origin story. Wow. So yeah. So uh, what, what, uh, what do you do these days for Microsoft? Yeah. So I work on the .NET team. Um, I've worked on, like I said, I joined Microsoft in 2000. I've been on the .NET team since 2003. So I've worked on every release uh, since and including .NET Framework 2.0. You know, I've been on the runtime team the whole time. And uh you know, there's just the reason, like, I, I obviously could have moved somewhere else. I think I have skills that are, you know, broadly applicable enough that I probably could have gotten hired somewhere else. But um, I've stayed there just because it's enabled me to go deep on something, but also wide. Mm. So, like, every release, we would target something new. Like, you know, at one point, we were doing Silverlight. <laughs> at another point, we were doing Windows Phone. Uh, you know, those were, those were super exciting projects at the time. Um, and then now we're kind of more focused on the cloud. Um, but, you know, I get to do things as, as quite different as the cloud, like Docker containers and Raspberry Pi and GPIO, GPIO APIs. So uh, I, I never get bored. And but at the same time, I know that I'm like impacting like a broad set of folks. I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's a good line of thought of mentioning Windows Cloud after mentioning Silverlight and Windows Phone because those others have <laughs> some pretty bad track record. Right? Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's not it's not called Windows Cloud, but uh, I, <laughs> might, I realized yeah, that was part. I, re- I was realized part of the joke. Um, I, I think uh, I think Azure's uh, proven that it's it's you know like Microsoft V three is the one you have to wait for. So yeah. And it continues to be an exciting time for .NET and .NET developers, right? I mean, uh, .NET Core was new in the last few years, the last handful of years. 
.NET 5 released in November of last year, and we've already migrated some production-level applications to .NET 5, and, and looking forward to .NET 6. I know that you've been releasing, it looks like, monthly blog posts with preview releases. Uh, yeah, so... Um... Uh, yeah, if you look at if you look at our blog, you'll see I'm one of the the main bloggers there, and um, yeah, we we try and publish a preview every month. We uh, we don't really have like a, a Scrum type model where like we have super well defined sprints, but we basically just say we ship every month, and that's that's a good enough kind of model of like a relatively short period bursts of effort. Um, it really helps the team stay focused, those monthly previews. And we basically orient 100% of our effort towards those. So if, if .NET 5 was to be the, the start of the reunification of 1.NET, uh, what do we have to look forward to in .NET 6? Is it all uh, continued down that path? Are there new features that we should be aware of that we should be looking forward to? Uh, great question. So uh, there's really there's really two things like um, uh, like a lot of our projects end up being like the big ones end up being these two release projects. So the you know reunification or or it's really just unification um, is a two release project started in .NET five and you, I'm somewhat repeating what you just said. And so we feel like it'll be completed in .NET six. Mm. Um, it's basically the, the, the big addition is making sure all those mobile workloads are integrated and work well. But then we have some other kind of two release projects that are actually starting in .NET 6. I actually did a, a blog post recently. It's been in the previews, but I, I did this conversational blog post last week on CrossGen 2. And so this is all about our native code generation. So uh, you know, we have this JITS, it's the thing that makes your application actually run, and but we have this pre-compilation technology or ahead-of-time compilation technology in the .NET Core land, it's called CrossGen, you know, in .NET Framework land, it was called NGen. they're somewhat similar, but um, we've basically completely rebuilt, like people say we've rebuilt this from scratch, this one is really rebuilt from scratch. <laughs> um, uh, and um, and it's going to have very different characteristics. So, like one of the things that I'll just give you two examples of things that it it will improve. One is uh, this thing called PGO, which is profile guided optimization. So it's basically uh, generating native code in terms of your usage. So, for example, if there's code that like methods that you end up calling on startup, then how about we put those all together, like kind of almost like in order. So that the, the the CPU can just slurp those up with zero friction, as opposed to them being just in random places. So you'll sometimes hear this word used in performance circles called locality. This is a locality sort of project. And then another one is um, if you look at um, some of the performance work that the team does has done and the community has done around um, the SIMD instructions, which stands for single instruction multiple data. Uh, like our cogen strategy targets like a super old um, uh, SIMD instruction set by default, which is SSE2. And but that like came out in the 90s. Um, so we're gonna in our native code generation target a much newer one so that we're kind of exploiting the hardware that you happen to have on hand. 
Um, so those are two projects, um, but the fullness of it probably won't arrive until .NET 7. Mm. Um, so that's that's some that's some cool stuff. Another project that is probably more of a single release project is, or depending on how you think about it, we uh, built a source generator technology in .NET 5, but didn't really use it for anything. Um, like so it can be really difficult for us to both bring up a new a new uh, kind of substrate feature set and use it all at the same time. So in .NET 6, there's a bunch of source generators that are being created, like uh, like uh, JSON serialization is an example, and regex I think is another example. So there, basically, what that means is instead of using reflection at runtime to like poke properties and look at types, you can base the compiler can just generate the right code that's like doing dots, if you will, like just saying. I know this property exists. I'm going to use static code to assign a value to it or read from it. And that is like 10x faster, probably maybe even 100x faster, uses way less memory. So that's, those, those are examples of things that are coming in .NET 6 and .NET 7. I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, what you would recommend is obviously to, to be uh, look, looking at the the latest .NET and moving, moving towards that. But uh, I think .NET 6 is supposed to be an LTS. Um, sort of realistically, what, what, um, what, what are some of the trade-offs, I guess? Uh, you're, you're, some of the things you're mentioning there are um, not available even maybe toward, towards .NET 7. Are, what, 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 we, what do you think will be given up uh, if we are sticking with those LTS releases? Well, you're only really, you're not... You're just giving up a year or two, okay. like uh, you know. So, I guess I would say don't sweat it. Um, you know, the way we kind of talk to people is, you know, if you've got uh, you know this this application that you kind of want to put a bunch of effort into, but then leave for a while after that, then that's probably something that's best on the LTS train. If you've got an application that you know you have a dev team working on pretty much day in and day out all the time, then I'm not too sure what LTS is buying you, mm-hmm. because you know we try and make it so that switching from you know .NET five to .NET six or .NET six to .NET seven is straightforward. Mm-hmm. So if you're in active development, you should just stay right alongside us, um, and then you also have a much more of an opportunity to give us feedback and influence the direction. Whereas, you know, if, if you're on .NET 6, skip .NET 7, and then we're working on .NET 8, you're a little bit detached from the, the kind of core issues of the day. It, it's not to say that your, your feedback isn't useful. It's totally useful, but... I mean, mine probably who, is not, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I appreciate it. Yeah, but, you know, clearly if someone is, like, uh, giving us feedback... And they're, you know, completely uh, oriented on what the last release was, and you know they've they've they're on the completely on the narrative. They've read the last chapter. Um, it's just so much easier to have a conversation with them because we're just talking exactly the same language. So um, I know we're again we're going to be focused on .NET six, but should I be targeting one of the if I if I have a new application that I'm working on? Should I be targeting starting with .NET three or or start go .NET five and just expect to move to six, or should I be looking at a preview of six right now? If if you 
so yeah, we're going to ship in November, which I think you guys know. You know, if you're going to ship after November, uh, you know, in January or February, I would just start with .NET 6. Okay. Uh, I have super high confidence in it. And, you know, I also have confidence in our dates. Like our, I'm effectively part of our uh, leadership team and uh, we want to make those November dates very badly. Um, like there's a lot of emphasis on those. Like we want, it's as simple as that. Um, we take it extremely seriously. Um, and I was going to make one other point. Oh yes, which is back to having high confidence about .NET 6. So we've started doing this uh, certainly with .NET 5 and maybe with .NET Core 3.1, I can't remember. But we, so we have this, you know, Microsoft dot, uh, sorry, .NET.Microsoft.com um, website. And it, it runs on the product. It's a big, big surprise. And so we both definitely for .NET 5 and .NET 6, we moved the website to Preview 1. So it's been running on .NET 6 since preview one. Um, and this is a little crazy, but like we, like when it, we in Azure DevOps, that's what we use for the website. You can just say like, um, give me the latest SDK mm -hmm. for this version. So you just type 6.x or something is their kind of language for that. So during, so that's how it's set up. So we publish .NET for the public on like preview two. And then during that day, the website updates itself to run preview two. Mm. <laughs> and we don't we don't we don't do anything. It happens automatically. And so we have high confidence of that working. And so we did that all throughout .NET 5 and it never failed once. And we'll do that, we'll do that throughout .NET 6. So we are that's how confident we are in the product. And we're gonna do it for .NET 7 too. At least for personal projects, I've been staying pretty close to at least released code, uh, maybe not the the preview releases, but the the cutting edge so far as what is generally available, and really appreciate the thoughtfulness that it, it appears the .NET team is putting together in migration paths and with limiting breaking changes. And I also have noticed that the communication with previews and and preview releases is that these are the working bits. This this is the path forward. Uh, we are going to try to hit the dates with everything that we need, but there might be sacrifices. We might need to delay features. And, and I actually appreciate that and, and thoroughly enjoy the the communication to that so that we, we understand what is coming, what is in, in jeopardy of not being released, of not making those deadlines, and, and feeling a little bit more confidence in knowing that what is released has been thoroughly vetted and, and is production ready. Yep. I mean, uh, developers are smart um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they can totally see through uh, made up stuff. If you read my writing on, on the blog, I think you can pretty quickly tell that I'm being sincere and telling you like, like it is. And, uh, you know, I'm also not afraid to share something that's negative. I'd definitely rather tell you something negative so that you know and can make your own decisions. Yeah, so uh, one of the things I'm sort of really interested in is what you're doing with um, Linux.net uh, images. Could you go into a little bit of that? Sure. So um, just backing up a tiny bit. Uh, so we ship container images for um, 
for .NET. Uh, we actually do that for .NET Framework as well. My team is also responsible for that. And, um, you know, turns out uh, containers as a kind of deployment and execution modality, are, it's very popular. Um, so, you know, when we talk to customers, um, you know, on the phone or whatever, um, and they're, they have like a cloud-based, server-based workload, almost all of them are using containers or have a, a near-term plan to use containers. And they tell us that they're using the container images that my team um, publishes. And so we do that for Windows and for, for Linux. Uh, we've been doing that since like actually .NET Core 1.0. Uh, it's been super fun. I've learned a lot. Uh, we've made a ton of changes um, across the years. You know, I've gotten into CVE management, which is definitely not not a not something I woke up one morning thinking that, that I should get into that topic. But um, basically, you know, our users just tell us what their challenges are, and then we have to kind of um, learn about that. It's it's actually one of the things that's both hard and awesome about the job is we have these customers that come to us, some of which are from, you know, super name brand companies, and they expect, they ask questions and they expect that we always have answers uh, on almost all things. So like one of the things is like when a topic like containers comes up, not only do I have to think about how, how we should best build a product around that, but also what it, what are the questions that customers are going to end up asking me? Um, so that like one of the things, everyone has these weird personality traits. One of them with me is I absolutely hate being flat-footed, like, like to a, a great extent. Um, so that's why I put a lot of emphasis on thinking about what I might be asked so that I can seem credible because being less than credible is is something I try to avoid. But yeah, our container images are getting a ton of use. Like we get over 10 million pulls a month um, of those uh, across the globe. It's amazing that there are still those in the industry that don't realize that .NET and, and C Sharp are are cross-platform. They don't realize that there are there are things such as Docker containers and Docker images running these things. They don't realize that we can run on all of the platforms. Has it been a a struggle to get that communication out there? Has it been a struggle to get the the runtimes on the different environments? Um, it was definitely a struggle at first on the messaging. Um, you know, I, I think there's two different parts of the messaging problem. One is just the pure people don't know part of it. But then the other one is more the credibility being taken seriously part. Uh, you know, when we started, it was definitely the idea, well, you know, if you're going to use, if you're going to run a web server on Linux, you know, it should be Node or something like that. Uh, when we very first started, Go wasn't quite as popular as it is now, but uh, when we started, it was definitely Node. Um, I don't feel that same that same feeling anymore, in, in part because of these upstart um, technologies, and I don't use that term negatively, just meaning they're new, uh, like Rust and Go have kind of like broken the perception that Java and Node are the, the Linux favored technologies and maybe even PHP to some degree. So I feel like that kind of just broke open the whole thing. 
uh, which which is probably an advantage um, to our side. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, .NET's characteristics are much more similar to Go's than they are to, to Node. You know, all of these things, they're always a spectrum, sometimes a multi-dimensional spectrum, but it's like, you know, if you want these characteristics, then these are kind of more the dev, dev technologies for you. If you want these characteristics, then, then these are probably more what you're looking for. So that's one aspect. Uh, in terms of difficulty, um, in terms of just getting a functional product up and running, that was not tremendously difficult. And for a couple of reasons, uh, you know, one is we have a tremendously talented team. Um, but the other is we have had cross-flat implementations of .NET for a very long time. So, you know, back to our two favorite examples from before, Windows Phone and Silverlight, you know, on all of that code was to a greater degree still in our code base. Yeah. So we had a Mac port that was still there. It had totally atrophied, uh, you know, and that was that was targeting Intel. Um, we actually, with Silverlight, went through that PowerPC to Intel transition. Uh, now we get to go through another <laughs> one um, with them. And uh, also, way back in the dawn of, pre-dawn of time, um, there was this rotor project, if you may have heard of that. And so there was a free BSD implementation of .NET before .NET Framework 1.0. So that code was, believe it or not, still in our code base. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of what was started with. And we also still had some of the talent from, or a fair bit of the talent from certainly the Silverlight project. But there's one person in particular that I'm thinking of that was on that rotor project as well. So... That was not hugely um, problematic. We, you know, there was a lot of work to have the the Linux build in particular make sense. There were some real horrible challenges at the start, not all of which were customer visible. And then, uh, then the bigger, the real bigger problem was making it like uh, Windows performance was better for a very long time. Uh, may still be in some cases. And then also making sure that Linux was just as diagnosable. .NET on Linux was just diagnosable as Windows because, you know, we had built up 20 years of tech of integration with Visual Studio. We don't have any of that on, on Linux. And so that, like, gets all the way down to, like, symbol formats. Um, you know, we did a project with uh, LTT and G with tracing formats. That's like a profile performance profiling tool. So there's been a ton of investments in those kinds of places. Um, but I feel, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, I will say just uh, on the Apple Silicon thing, um, we've been working super closely with, with Apple on that. Um, the, the engineers that we've been working with on that project have been tremendous. Actually, can't say enough good things about them. Like, their basic attitude has been: um, it's like, okay, we've got that problem solved. Now, tell me, tell me the next one. <laughs> like, they're just completely, you know, let's get this thing working, make it work for customers, and uh, it's been amazing. But Microsoft and Apple are like <laughs> dogs and cats. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there would be other teams. <laughs> I'm sure there's some places where you could find some friction, but. Um, uh, with this particular engagement, you know, yeah, Apple working with us on dev technologies, they've been really good. One of my favorite technologies to come out in the last few years has been Blazor. 
And there's supposed to be a lot of exciting stuff coming in Blazor in uh, .NET 6 that was held off in .NET 5 because they they couldn't get around to it or you know it wasn't it wasn't done. Um, could you walk us through some of that stuff and and maybe even what might be coming up in in seven if you know about it? Yeah, so I, I am not the, the the Blazor authority by any stretch. So I will. This is going to be like a sixty second thing. <laughs> so I guess the. The two things that come to mind in Blazor, you know, we did the WASM thing, WebAssembly in .NET 5. That was all based on an interpreter, which, you know, it made sense. So it's an IL to, well, it's just an IL interpreter is what it is. In this release, we're going to have an opt-in um, WASM compiler. So it basically means as part of your build system, you can compile your IL code to WASM which means by, by definition means that there's no need for an interpreter. Um, that one is, I believe, oriented on just compiling all the code. So kind of in the fullness of time, you could imagine just compiling like, you know, a third or a quarter of your app to WASM where like you need the highest performance because native code is always bigger, just kind of a, a, an interesting trade-off on the web. Same trade-off we have actually in Docker containers to, to a slightly lesser degree. Um, so you can imagine more mix and match. I don't believe we're shipping that this time. So that's one piece in Blazor. The second piece is related to Blazor Desktop. So this this idea that um, you can take web technologies. It's a bit like uh, an Electron app. So where you take a web technologies, you have them run in a native application container, um, and then you have some kind of browser and um, web server serving up your app. So that's basically what Blazor Desktop is. Blazor is awesome. Uh, we all use it. There's definitely have been some legitimate criticisms about it. And so um, part of that project is delivering a product that doesn't have those kind of critical aspects to them. So that was intended to be as politically correct as I could be <laughs> to not upset anyone in Electron. So you said it's like Electron, but it's, it's, a, it's a .NET version doing the same kind of thing though, right? Yeah, I can explain what the difference is. So Electron, and and obviously people can correct me if I get some of this wrong, but this is my understanding, is Electron is kind of two main, three main parts. It's a native app container, because uh, you always need that if you want a desktop app. Um, so it's native to the operating system and the chip. Um, and it's a copy of V8. So it's a different, it's a, you get, you, it's not the same browser as is the, you know, your operating system browser. Uh, and so the, the reason people like that is they basically test against the V8. Here I'm talking about the Chrome web, the Chrome engine. Mm -hmm. You test against the thing you ship, and that is super attractive. And then the last part is you have um, Node.js as the thing generating web pages, which are the thing you're then viewing in, in through Chrome, through V8. So that's really cool tech, you know, but it means that the um, the app is going to be bigger because you have to have uh, a copy of V8 with it. Um, and in addition, browsers are, you know, one of the most common things to get patched for security issues. So I believe um, uh, Blazor is going the other way, which is to use the native web browser. So that does put more burden on the developer because then they have to test in more places, but it also means that they can 
the rely on the operating system updating its browser or you know Chrome is obviously not in the mainline operating systems or just Chrome updating itself. So that's a different trade-off. Some people will be super happy about that. If I was an IT administrator, I would think that was awesome. <laughs> uh, if I was a web developer, I might be less, not quite as keen on that. Um, so that's one example. What can you uh, tell us about uh, .NET MAUI that's going to be coming with uh, .NET 6? Um, yeah, I'm also not working on that project, but I think... Um, you know, if we zoom out all the way to what the value proposition is there, it's that um, right now Xamarin is, uh, you know, fundamentally a different fork of .NET. And so everything works a little bit differently. And so if you're, I guess, a Xamarin-only user, that probably doesn't matter much. But if you do like Xamarin plus ASP.NET websites, then I'm sure you can see the seams on a regular basis. Uh, and if you ever wanted to expose a web server in a Xamarin app, you know, that's going to be super difficult. I've, I've tried it. <laughs> um, uh, super difficult. So um, what this means is that, you know, all the mobile workloads will be just 100% integrated and all the experiences will be the same. Uh, and you'll just be able to mix and match components mm. as you would like. So it will be easy to expose a web server in a mobile app should you, should you want to. Does that mean that, or and again, I know that you're not, I've heard mixed different, different things, so maybe I don't have the, the, the right information, but is, is it going to be able to work with uh, analytics desktop, or is that something that's coming? Or Great question. Um, so Microsoft is not supporting a Linux desktop kind of um, version of MAUI in this particular time frame. I absolutely could see it. I, I could see two things happening for sure. One is a community-supported mm, version okay. for Linux based on like one of the toolkits, yep. like GTK, for example. Or uh, another one is is that uh, Microsoft just decides to go and build it in like .NET seven or .NET eight. So okay, okay, yeah. I guess the the other aspect, which is uh, maybe less obvious, although staring you right in front of the face, is it also means we'll ship at the same time. So like we didn't have shared ship schedules. So it means that, you know, if there's some new Wizbang API that's in the product, like ASP.NET and Maui get it on the same day. You know, if there's a new tools capability, um, then ASP.NET and Maui get it on the same day. Same with WPF for, for Windows. So I, I think it really starts to set, like there definitely has been a, a meme of sorts that Microsoft was maybe a, less invested in these mobile platforms. And then when you like fully integrate it, everything gets delivered in the same way on the same day. It just has a different feeling to it, which I think people will appreciate. Yeah, and I got to imagine there's a certain amount of coordination that has to happen to get all of those bits to ship at the same time, especially when they were completely separate systems and completely separate paradigms even yeah, it's like kind of like you have no idea. Um, you know, so one of the things that I one of the, yeah things I try and focus on is when I'm working with teams. On one hand, I push really hard on this like same day shipping model, uh, and you know we we try and we try and hit like ten o'clock. It's like we don't we don't want teams. It's not even across the same day. Like we don't want one team shipping at ten and one team shipping at three p.m. 
that is not the definition of success. It's like we try and ship within this like 30 to 60 minute window. That's, that's the one side. But on the other side, I try and make it so that teams are as decoupled as possible. So we don't like have to wait for one team's build system to end up finishing before another one's can start. So mm. yeah, those are the, those are the two kind of topics. We've talked about a lot of different things coming with .NET 6. Are, do you have a feature or an item that you're particularly excited about? Is there one that comes to mind that you're wanting people to know about? Or is there a, a new blog post that we can expect in, in the coming weeks? Yeah, there isn't one in the coming weeks. But uh, the thing that I'm, uh, I've been focused on is basically runtime execution c- characteristics in Docker containers. So like I, I put a bunch of effort in .NET Core 3.0 to like make sure we supported memory and CPU limits correctly. And so since I've been working on containers so long, um, my thoughts on them have changed. And the philosophy that I now have is before we tried to just make the Docker container um, kind of environment perfectly match what I'll call upstream. It's like we take a plain vanilla version of .NET, put it in a container, put our stamp of approval on it, and call it good. Now, my feeling is that we should make those container images opinionated. And what that means is optimizing them for the common hardware that people are going to have. Like It's like this SIMD instruction thing I was talking about earlier. If we know that... like you know, 80%, 90% of these images are going to be run in a modern cloud environment like Azure. We know what hardware they have. Why don't we pivot these container images to just screaming on those as opposed to like tying their hands behind their back because they might be running on like some Windows 7 um, box that was bought in like 2010. That makes no sense to me. Um, So it means I'm willing to say that these container images in the future might not work on some machines on which they work today. But it means that they'll work a ton better in the places where they run most commonly and really for which they're intended. So all this cross-gen 2, PGO, all that stuff is oriented on that model. There are some really hard technical challenges to solve that I'm working on. Uh, They they will get solved. and I'm, I'm hoping that'll all land in .NET 6. We'll, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, but that, that's the thing that I'm most passionate about is, is that topic. One of the trends, especially if you look across the course of 10 years, like pretty much everything that we produce used to be native code. Um, like obviously the, the .NET libraries were always uh, C-sharp. Roslyn is now a managed code base, open source. Um, used to be native, closed source. Uh, if you like, m- lots of pieces of the runtime have moved to C sharp, one layer up, uh, and that's been super useful because it means that the people building the product have like these pretty big .NET code bases, and they get mad when they don't work the way that they want them to, <laughs> and they're much more likely to fix the underlying product. Like there's you know, even though like, you know, we fixed a million and a half customer reported issues, there's still nothing as visceral as seeing that your own product doesn't work the way you want it to. What uh, what resources can you point our listeners to who are 
you know, kind of dive into .NET 6 right now? You know, I think the blog posts are um, the best place to start on the .NET blog. There's three previews up there now, and there'll be more soon enough. Um, preview 4 will be tied with the Build Conference. And um, start there and see if there's something that you like. ASP.NET blog, EF blog. You know, we're trying to do a good job of telling people what's, what's new and exciting. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those maybe looking to level up their own careers? I've been thinking about this a bit lately. I think there's like one split that you is really important to be aware of. So we all get hard problems that we need to solve and that are troubling us. And so I think in one case of hard problems, it is a complete waste of time for you to spin your wheels on this for more than, let's say, an hour, two hours, half a day. It just, you know, you're just going to keep on spinning your wheels. And so that's when you should ask for help and say, like, you know, I, I did due diligence. You know, it's useful to say, these are the things I did that I thought made sense. Either send me back with, you know, some other things, or I really need to, like, do pair programming or something to get to this, but it's just not going to be useful and I'm not going to make my schedule. That's one set of things. Another set of things is realizing that this is your problem to solve and you need to dig in and uh, you need to figure out, like think a little bit beyond your normal strategies, which could involve asking people for help too, but it's not like help as in give me the answer. It's like, this is my responsibility, and uh, the, the team is counting on me to deliver this. And frankly, there isn't uh, like a domain expert here that is going to magically give this to me, so I need to figure this out. And so I think pivoting between those two things and being pretty, I guess, hard-ass on which one it is, is super important. Excellent advice. Um, where where can our listeners go to follow you and sort of keep up with uh, all the .NET runtime that you're working on? Yeah, so I, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Run Faster 2000 um, as the number. That's the best place. I'm on GitHub too as just Rich Lander. I'm definitely not one of the most um, either popular or like uh, I don't tweet as much as some other people on the team. But yeah, I tweet some. Well, Rich, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Really appreciate it. Great. Uh, I really appreciate being on, and this was a fun conversation. That was Rich Lander. Rich is a principal program manager on the .NET Core team. He works on making .NET Core work great in memory-limited Docker containers, on ARM hardware like the Raspberry Pi, and enabling GPIO programming and IoT scenarios. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. Catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I am John Ash. 